Welcome to the Explore Newfoundland podcast. We interview local personalities from across the island, giving you insight into the culture, the nature, and the opportunities that exist when you explore Newfoundland. This podcast welcomes a local poet and a seasoned outdoor enthusiast. Dan Murphy is known from Fogo to the El Camino de Santiago. So when I went, went to work with the Cree, the Nitassini now Tribal Council, right? In Alberta, in Northern Alberta. One of my jobs was to develop uh, outdoor education camps, right? Mm-hmm. So they already had a camp already and they had traditional skills like trapping and, and ice fishing and netting and, and the whole works, right? So my role was to incorporate the contemporary arts and sciences into the program, right? So my boss is Billy Joe Labacan, who is now the chief of Little Buffalo. And one day he walked into my many offices, which included my pickup truck. And I said, Billy Joe, I said, you know, you know, I'm working on the schedule, Billy Joe. But, you know, I got some blank spaces where I got nothing here for the kids to do. So he very calmly in his very calm voice said, Dan, he said, there is nothing wrong with doing nothing. And I said, what do you mean? He says, there's nothing wrong when you're outdoors in the wilderness to do nothing. So we left them blank. And of course, the big difference was, you know, when working with the Cree kids, they could handle doing nothing, right? right. You know, we had no issues with behavior or whatever if they were allowed to go for an hour, like I would have with the kids here. So that really got me thinking about this whole idea of my past when I was always programming to do something you know in with the school uh, projects or with the kill level project right? well as an ex as a as a retired educator and in my case yeah. an ex-educator you know that if you produced a, a lesson plan or a program or a product had, the kids got to produce a product right and it had great gaps of nothing in it yeah they would be worried about behavioral everything issues and right. everything yeah right and you wouldn't be doing your job yeah so the leap we made when we were talking over coffee last week mm-hmm. was that when when tourists and visitors come to experience Newfoundland and Labrador, there seems to be a tendency that all the deliverers, right, have to have something for them to do, right? Has to have this program hike or this program walk or this interpreted walk. Well, it's right? hard to describe it as nothing. Yeah. But, but it's, it's really something, isn't it? Yeah, but in reality, I think... You probably, people will get more, it has to be a balance, of course. But I think for, for people to do nothing, just to say, go off for two hours and do nothing, I think opens great opportunities inside, right? But why would Newfoundland be particularly uh, a good place to do nothing? Because we're so diverse, right? Like, like I spent a lot of time in Prince Edward Island because my parents, came, my father came from there. So from a landscape perspective, and even a cultural perspective, uh, Prince Edward Island is very homogenous, right? You well, go yes. from one aisle, one corner to the other, the landscape is the same, the seascape is the same, and so on. It's beautiful beaches and dunes, but it yes. is beaches and dunes. So, you know, lie out in the sun roasting like you do in Bermuda. Okay. 
But if you go to Newfoundland, it's the other side of scale. Like, like you travel, you know, 20 kilometers up the coast on the East Coast, and you'll stumble upon three or four communities, and the landscape is so diverse, right? So for somebody to go into those places do, with nothing to do, to do nothing, there's actually such a diversity there from a landscape perspective and a cultural perspective and a, say, well, an architectural perspective. perspective. You're talking about flora and fauna, fauna and geology. Viewscapes. Geography, generally, topography. Geography, there's a whole gamut of things, right? Yeah. But then when you talk about society and sociology or yeah. cultural yeah. tourism, yeah. you're talking about communities, right? And they're yeah. equally diverse, aren't yeah. they? So they're there, and they come back with something. I know you have great roots in Fogo. Yes. So would you reflect on... You have to on, say Fogo Island because my wife will kill you. Okay, Fogo Island. <laughs> You're lucky enough to have that. Yeah, yeah. So Fogo Island, compared to Burgio, for example, I know them as distinct, but for a tourism asset, for a tourist coming, what would you reflect on those two Well, extremes? see, Fogo Island is unique. You know, it's a small island with 11 communities, but each community has a distinctive cultural and social piece, right? Which is really interesting. For example, Selham, for example, uh, most of their settlers came from the southwest coast of Ireland. And in their dialect today, they are still using some of the terms that were used way, way back then. Now, a, tw a 20 kilometer screw ride north is tilting, mm -hmm. which is Irish and Catholic. And 10 Strachan. kilometers the other way is Joe Batts, which is Irish and Protestant with an orange lodge, right? You know, so very diverse from a cultural perspective and even very diverse from a landscape perspective. Like Fogo Island is part of the Northeast Coast ecozone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, but within that area, there's such a diversity, right? For example, the Turpins Trail, which we built in 93, this, you know, connects all the ecosystems within that eco region, right? But if you go to the other side of Fogo, it's totally different again, right? Sure. You go to Burgio, for example. So when you leapfrog to Burgio, well, Burgio in, my, in my mind's eye, it's one community, it's completely different. Completely different. Yeah. The lingo is different. The language is different. Yeah. And you so get, is every other community in, in the province. You get right? big berries in Burgio. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like... You know, and I think that's how uh, the, the inn markets uh, uh, Fogo is a diversity in a small place, right? Yeah. And so Newfoundland, extrapolate that to... Oh, Newfoundland is just a bigger... Version of that. Yeah, a bigger version of that, right? Like you where know. you spoke earlier about Placentia Bay. You are Placentia Bay. Kieran's, and St. Leonard, Leonard's. So, so, so there's an even a more amazing place because uh, uh, a lot of Newfoundland music has come from Placentia Bay. The Rhines and the Pittmans. And, and will Pittman, will right? rant and will roar like true Newfoundlanders. Yeah, you know, so uh, I was mentioning previously about the trip that we, the research trip we did, you know, on the south coast through St. Leonard's and Taslow and all the songs that are connected to those places, right? Mm -hmm. You know? So getting back to this nothing thing mm -hmm. is that uh, I think a, a visitor to this province with a basic understanding of where to go, can go on their own, unguided, 
and I, I use the term do nothing in quotes, just go into these places and come out with a really, with a fulfilling experience, right? I think as well, Newfoundland, and I'll ask you to speak to this issue, Newfoundland doesn't have a lot of covenants on who owns what. When it comes to coastal Newfoundland, there's not a great deal of restrict, restrictive covenants on where you can go and what you can, where you can sit and how you can enjoy, as long as you're not destructive. Well, this goes way back to the concept of the commons, right? You know, and, and actually one of the, the ladies that visits uh, Tilting annually, actually, from Ruger's University, did one of the finding studies on the fishery of Fogo Island in the context of the commons, right? So, so like for example, Newfoundland, we have the largest percentage of government-owned land. We call, of any, we call it crown land. Crown land of any, any province, right? Within communities, for example, uh, if you look at Tilting, for example, or the communities up in the Northern Peninsula. But crown land would <coughs> translate to public land or yeah. publicly accessible land. Yes. From the perspective of a tourist, they yeah. don't, you know. And that's the commons, right? Yeah, the commons. And that's why a fishery went went downhill because everybody's accessing this resource that was basically available to the commons, you know. Not owned. Not owned. Available right. to the common people. You know. And even if we look at traditional pasture lands in these rural communities, Tilting is a good example, like the ratio of pasture lands to the footprint of the community is about three to one. Right? So people don't really own these pieces of land. A lot of them haven't had them surveyed. They've owned them, you know, for centuries because uh, they've used them. But it, it was essentially the commons, still is the commons, right? But now, people. once communities, such as Indian Burial Place in, in Nortonine Bay or Round Harbor, Snook's Arm, there's any number of resettled communities. The most recent one is Little Bay Island. Little Bay of Islands, good example. L Little Bay Island, all in Norchardine Bay, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. There's resources there for the tourists that are really free access to enjoy and do nothing. Yeah, as a tourist, yeah. As a tourist. As a visitor, right? To sit on a dock, yeah. to um, wander up and see an old, the old churches, the old yeah. schools. Yeah. So what value do you, even though we lament about the loss of these communities, they do represent an opportunity for tourists to come and see while they're still yeah, they still they, exist. Yeah, they do. You know, I, I remember when I was working with the uh, Humber Economic Development Board, right? When they relocated uh, Great Harbor Deep, we had been working on a project on Fogo Island where, you know, the people who had empty houses would, they would form a co-op, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people could rent their houses. And so the idea of, of having this concept in Great Harbor Deep, so even though the community was relocated, people weren't, weren't there anymore, the houses were there. But Great Harbor Deep's not connected by any roadway. No, but Whereas it never, never happened, right? Because people right. really weren't, you know, so. <clears throat> but the other thing too, you know, like, back to Kevin's research, right? Kevin um, Redmond, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, bringing people, bringing people to these, these communities to just stand there and reflect on them, right? <clears throat> One thing uh, he noticed when he uh, when he analyzed their their narrations that they had written afterwards, right, <clears throat> is that some of the people who came who were not directly connected to Newfoundland, who didn't have an understanding of what the was all about and why, 
some of their reflections weren't as deep as those of those people who were from Newfoundland, right? Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be natural? Yes, but it gets back to this doing nothing kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like I would suspect that uh, if you bring somebody in to a place to just walk and experience it, that if they had some background, maybe the experience would be be richer. But right? as a poet, would you be able to recommend any particular readings that would help them enrich their experience when they come? And maybe a holiday should start at home in Ontario, Quebec, Germany, wherever, well, as they start to do some research. Yeah, well, like, look at the trips we you did in, in the sea kayaking, canoeing mm -hmm. trips. Like, all those trips demand that you do a preparation, yeah. post-trip preparation. Yeah. And and uh, a lot of people think a post-trip has... pre-trip, isn't it? Or pre-trip yeah. has the sleeping bags and the packs and so on. Yeah. Now, me and Kevin learned a hard lesson <clears throat> because we... We kayaked every year for many years, for six days, right? Mm -hmm. And one day we were at Newman Sound. And in his teams, Fraser Carpenter, and a partner at the time who, who ran those, the tour boat in Terra Nova. Yes, sir. And they landed at the wharf, and they walked up to us. And I said, boy, how, how are you doing, Fraser? And she said, great. She says, Kevin and Dan, do you realize you're standing on graves? <laughs> Right? So afterwards, I turned to Kevin. I said, Kevin, you know what? We've been doing all these kayak trips and paddling trips. You know, everything is planned. The maps are printed up. But we never took the time to look into the historical and the cultural piece of where we were traveling to. Right? So we did it. We did it after that all the time. <laughs> right? Now, that fits with what I was talking about before, but it's continuum. Of the experience where a lot of times you just go for, to a place you go for a paddle for the challenge mm -hmm. but you forget about this other piece well my grandma so, was a lovely lady and she always insisted that we visit the graveyards when yeah, we go places yeah she came from placentia bay yeah and she said the stories in the graveyard the yeah story so of the community so so after that every trip that we made was more dimensional right in fact the, the journey that we did from boys cove to fogo island we, we had a, an archaeologist with us from Brown's University, right, mm -hmm. to, to, to add this, this piece, right? So getting back to, the, the, as a tourist, you know, there's always, there's always this argument about a preparation from that perspective, right? Like sometimes, if you go in cold, you, you will see something that normally nobody else would see. Because when you, when you prepare to experience nothing, sometimes you end up with blinders, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So a good example is St. Saint, Kieran's. Saint you've been to St. Kieran's. I have been to St. Where the cathedral my, is. My grandfather's from St. Kieran's. Okay. And you walk the Blue Road. Yeah. And I have a poem called The Blue Road, which is actually published in an Irish journal. The Blue Road goes from St. Kieran's past Chapel Pond yeah. to St. Leonard's. And St. Kieran's Chapel was built by a Dutch priest by the name of Father Fine. Okay, is that the one, that, the stone one? Yeah, who raised my grandfather. Okay, and the, the, the lentils around the windows, actually, and the, the caped uh, uh, holy well, mm -hmm. that, those rock pieces came from Ireland. Oh, okay. But anyway, what's unique about that place is that as a, 
If you do your research, you're probably just going to walk the blue road, right? But if you come there and just start to explore, there's a whole other network of paths and trails that I think are north of there, uh, past old graveyards that you don't even know about, right? And, and they're all resettled communities. Yeah, there's nobody so, living there. There's fishermen go back yeah. and forth. But. So I think you, you might end up with a richer experience coming there with no knowledge of the place and after the fact then do a little bit of research. And if you're inclined to camp, there's no yeah. one stopping you from setting up your tent and no. and, and no. I mean, we've you know yeah. kayaked and canoed all over Newfoundland. Yeah. yeah. Lived on many a beach over the years, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. So I guess getting back to doing nothing <laughs> there's pros and cons of it. We can we can, we can put it on a, a scale now, a, a continuum, right? Completely doing nothing to being a guide at doing nothing, right? So which of your poems would you say reflects the spirit of Outport Newfoundland well, the best? Well, when I was involved with this project with Kevin, uh, I had three of my pieces published in uh, Scholarly Detail, which is a collection of Irish writers in Wexford, right? Okay. You know, so like my writing, 90% of my writing is about place, right? The poetry of place, right? Mm -hmm. And when I was over in Kerry on Sur this summer, I did a reading uh, with a well-known Irish poet, uh, Michael Cody. Couldn't, and couldn't talk. You would bend your arm into giving us a little bit of a poem, could we? No, because I have to read my poem. <laughs> I don't have any in my head. <clears throat> but our, our post-discussion was about poetry of place, which is the most powerful type of poetry, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, if you expand it to a broader perspective, the... the the writing of place, right, which includes a whole gamut of things from historical journals. And I just saw you show me a, a log book out there, which fits yeah. in that category. Yeah, from the back of the room, yeah. To oral stories that we hear around the table. Right. To Michael Crummy's, you know, book where he taught, where based on his uncle's journals, I think, right? And many stories by Michael Yeah, Crummy. so they're all related to place, right? Whereas the other, you know, other side of fence is not of place. It's not connected directly with any any place, right? But that's the most most powerful, right? And you can relate that to experiences too, right? So the experience of place, of being in a place, is very powerful, right? Well, and along with experiencing the place comes the the things that or add-ons to that or would be the hikes that are there to do well that's part of the, the experience because you experience place yeah in many ways because throughout Notre Dame Bay if they're here in June July they'll also see the the icebergs and yeah. the whales and yeah. the various things so that yeah. adds to your overall experience yeah. you can experience place with a drone because one of our early artists at the program that we we ran at a run and tilting was from Ireland she was a kite photographer and she brought kites to tilting and she would pull up a time camera that would take shots in turn. And when she published her work, people at Tilting were looking at it, and they couldn't recognize. <laughs> they couldn't recognize the images, right? Because it was a different perspective of place, right? So they saw different things that they never saw before. They saw where potato gardens were, that they never realized were there, right? <clears throat> you know, so <clears throat> it's a good metaphor for how you experience place 
you can experience it differently, right? Well, I think locals tend to overlook a lot of the things yes. that represent place because we see them so often. Yes. When we drive the Northern Peninsula <coughs> and we see the potato gardens and the vegetable gardens on either side of the road and we don't pay attention to them until a tourist says, what are those fenced-in areas on the way up the yeah. highway? Well, the thing is, when you live there, you're experiencing place as a resident, right? Mm -hmm. So you see the, a beauty, you see a viewscape, right? Yes. Which you've seen all your life, right? Or you see the potato garden as not a potato garden, it's a place where you grow vegetables because you, you got to put them in the cellar for the winter, right? You see your vernacular architecture, which we work on in tilting, right? Mm -hmm. The traditional stages and stores, you see them from a, a functional perspective, you know, uh, we have a stage in, in tilting where somebody has cut in the different types of boats back in the late 1800s, the bully boats and so on. Mm -hmm. And another stage has the measurements of coffins on it, right? And th they've been there for years. Mm -hmm. And the locals would see though just has a daily scribble. Whereas when Robert Mellon came in from to do his doctoral theses on vernacular architecture, he saw those buildings from a totally different perspective, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so so it gets in a whole other <laughs> discussion, right? Like, you know, when a tourist comes in, you know, they see they see a different facade of a community, right? Well, so we when you travel around quite often, you see boats in the grass, you know. And yeah, Al, and Al spoke about boats and grass, grass in some of his poetry. Yeah, reflecting on the life that happened on that boat, and now the boats in the grass. Yeah, that was that poem. Uh, actually, actually, it's in our sea kayak guide. That's right. On the last page. Yeah. Right. And the and, the if you go to uh, the Bayvert Peninsula, you go up and you go down in that part of the bay, which is the extension of Notre Dame Bay, which yeah, Fogo's yeah on one end, and then yeah. Sop's Arm on the other. Yeah. The, uh, or Fleur de Lis, you get into the whaling culture. Yeah. And if you hike down in those communities, you can, you know, see many boats on the grass that have been pulled up after their, their see, life. And they're still there. Yeah, and of course, a, a, a writer might see that. And I, I got a couple of pieces of poems on that. For example, one is the oar, which is probably Janaya. But <coughs> you also see a lot of these boats as metaphors, right? Yeah. For the demise of of a resource and a, and a community and a culture, right? Or it also reflects a life or lives, Yeah, many of them. Yeah, but from a tourist perspective, they all see it as the death of a, you know, the, the rotten boat turned over, the falling stage. You know, it's it represents the loss of the fishery, right? You know? Yeah, I understand what you're you saying. Like, I'm, I'm you know, wondering you if can, you can look be... at that through different blinders, right? Yeah. So somebody can look at the overturned boat in the the, uh, the crumbling stage in a grassy meadow and see beauty in it, right? Another person can look at the same thing and, and see it from a historical perspective of a dynamic, you know, community that was there for a hundred years where there was people making a living and fishing and, and dying and being born and singing and dancing. But it reflects a lot of things. Yeah, another person can see it on the other side. You know, it, it's it's a monument to 
a loss of a way of life, right? Mm. You know? It can be both, I guess. Yeah, so yeah. we can, you know, so the eye of... Reflection of the <coughs> skill of the craftsman. Yeah. The perseverance yeah. of the user. Yeah. The the economics of the community, how they made their living. Yeah, these, yeah. And this was a project that we, that we floated with Parks Canada, and when I was there, it never happened, but you may have remembered about five years ago, Parks Canada brought all these different types of artists up to uh, Thorngat National Park. You remember that project? I remember, yeah. And they just plopped them there, right? Mm. Right? And asked them to do do what they do best. Right? And the whole idea, and, and we had talked about that years ago in the parks. With, when The whole idea was each of these different people, writers, painters, photographers, poets, would all interpret Thorngat National Park mm-hmm. through their eyes, right? And their stories, right, would be reflected in their work. You see, so I'm not sure they did a film on it actually. Mm-hmm. With so when we, if you watch the film, each person has a different story about their experience there, right, mm-hmm. and interpret the land differently, right. But I guess that reflection is what we're talking about when we say about doing nothing. Yeah. Because if you're running around with your uh, your hiking boots on and your sticks yeah. and your knapsack and you're walking by all these treasures yeah and not taking the time to reflect yeah not taking the time to to really yeah. look at these things and yeah. find your own yeah. uh, point of reflection yeah you you're missing it yeah and who you are too will determine that too right if you bring a bunch of client clients in and one guy is an architect you know for his whole life and the other other lady is a, a painter like your mother you know, but it's also us too, Dan. We've changed. Yeah. We've been a continuum. We started off thinking, you know, well, that wave, let's go conquer it. Let's go look at that rapids. Let's go. We can we can do that and survive. We, it was a challenge. Yeah. It was all about the activity. Yeah. And then it grew into, and we also were interested in consumption. Yeah. You see a moose, he looks tasty. Yeah. You know, a salmon, <laughs> let's, let's, let's plant that salmon. Let's get it going as yeah. opposed to looking at the beautiful sight of it. A moose enjoying a meal yeah. in the woods, or so we've changed. Yeah, what well, I said, I did a lot of research on on outdoor adventure, right? Programming and the continuum that participants move along. Like Liam, I'm not sure where Liam might be on that continuum, but you know, people are there at different stages in their life. Like, like you said, for most young people, you know, mountain well, bikers, kayakers. Well, you have three children. Yeah. I have three children. Yeah. And they're going through the earlier... Yeah, it's a challenge, of, right? Yeah. It's about, you know, man, the old man against nature kind of thing, right? So you but, run the river, but all you see is a river. But you Newfoundland is a great place to come mountain bike. Yeah. It's a great place to come ATV. Yeah. So we got wonderful salmon yeah. fishing and sightseeing. Yeah. And all. But those are all things, and we're not really talking about those things here. We're talking about... Something a little bit uh, well, more a good example is the Ginger Trail in Cornerbrook. I bet you not many mountain bikers have seen the orchids there, right? No. It's like, and there's a place there where there might be 40 orchids in the spring. Because they're right at their stage in their life. It's all about the mountain bike as a challenge, right? <clears throat> where, <clears throat> where you might find somebody else go on a bike tour. Say, uh, use an example of the ones in Europe, for example, right? With a, the bike as a vehicle now, not not as a physical thing to beat the time, but it's it's a vehicle to experience a culture in a place. Mm-hmm. Or the older mountain biker might 
you know, do do a, do a trail. And it's all about the, taking their time, the flora and the fauna, taking the pictures. So they, they move to more of a, a broader a broader perspective of of where they are, you know. Well, coming home, then you leave to go home with a much deeper meaning. Yeah. And a much deeper could be a, be a spiritual life. piece, right? It could be. You know, like a lot of climbers, uh, they did this. this There's this show on Netflix a while ago about a climber, solo climber, and like some of his commentary towards the end when they're they were questioning him about you know why he was doing this, right? Mm-hmm. And he was only a young guy, like. For him, he was talking to talk about this the spiritual piece, right? Now it's got nothing to do with religion, and, but it was a spiritual thing for him, right? <clears throat> so he was at the point where he's starting to realize that, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I think it reflects even our old Newfoundland speaks to this yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah. You know, as loved our fathers, so we loved. Yeah. Yeah. And where once they stood, we stand. That doesn't mean yeah. running by. That yeah. means reflecting. Yeah. And appreciating. The culture, the yeah. flora fauna, as much as the the things that we built yeah. and the things that we did. Yeah. So it all goes back to the experience, right? And except, like my background, really, when you talk about outdoor ed, from an academic perspective, it's really experiential ed, like how you experience things around you, right? You know, and that's who we are, right? We have our five senses, and we experience place. We experience a journey in a canoe or whatever and it's coming into us right so how we you know we look at spiritual learning it's the processing of that right mm-hmm. all that stuff comes in and how do you process it how do you spit it out at the end right you know and what we're talking about now is really taking the time to allow it to process yeah, yeah. because you it know. takes processing time yes you can't it does. rush you can't rush through no so yeah. people come to newfoundland on a 10-day holiday 17,000 kilometers of coastline. <coughs> and the tendency is to rush through some of this. And it may not hit them until three months after the trip. That's right. Right? And this is one, one of the flaws in education. That's right. We bring kids on a field trip. And it's all about the, collecting the facts. But there's also experience. Back in the classroom, we don't process the experience. But the experience also can actually be... be uh, come to the surface three months down the road for the student and we we ignore that too right so it all comes you know. back to the notion of experiencing the moment yeah. that you're in as yeah. opposed to the one you're yeah you're going yeah. to yeah you know running your itinerary uh, while you're thinking doing one thing you're thinking about the next yeah so so maybe itinerary. that's one of the problems sometimes with with uh, with these guided itinerary type stuff right good example like <laughs> Of the bus tour trip of Ireland, right? Like you just wham, 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 wham. This is where Cromwell killed 300 Irishmen and they buried under under the Florida's church. Get on the bus, right? <laughs> Get on the bus. Let's and we go, go to, to the, the next, next place, burial right? site or the next church. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like we talked about a, a broad, a whole broad swath of stuff here, but I think you can distill it down really to. Like I just said, the experience, time, what you just mentioned, for the experience, the idea that there's levels, there's levels in which we can guide the experience from just putting people there 
versus you know giving them some kind of guidance or whatever right maybe we fail in the processing of the experience like joe i don't know when your clients go to to carpoon if it, if in the evening you sit down with them together and just talk about their journey there their paddle you know is that part of what you do because that's the processing of the experience and that's how you as say a facilitator would bring bring it out well sometimes i think that the the type of tourism we're talking about is is a bit more internal like we have a yeah. reading room up there where yeah. you can reflect on some on some literature or you yeah. can read some information and different people are experience things quite differently we've already acknowledged yeah, that yeah. right but sometimes they need and you should try this joe it'd be really interesting mm-hmm. like i think that as a group you know, people talking about their experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people don't, I found this with dealing with the, the children in the outdoor setting and with adults too, right? Is that a lot of times uh, for people to to c- communicate their experience, sometimes they have to do it in the context of others there because sometimes, sometimes you'll see your experiences it's only yours in that the kind of feelings you had, you look at the rest of the people and say, oh no, they never had that, right? So therefore you're reluctant to really validate them, right? You know? So, but sitting around with a group of people, uh, you one person might say, well, you know what? Jeez, I felt the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, what you felt is validator, right? Mm-hmm. Right, so it, it kind of comes to the surface, right? Well, I think there's some power in that reflection. Yeah. whatever you experience because yeah. I think it, it elevates the yeah. impact of that experience yeah. yeah and sometimes one person who's touring would miss it and the other yeah. person you know I've, I've been on tours and I ask people all the time what was your most powerful experience yeah. and one particular gentleman who I, I really in, enjoyed talking to I asked him what was his most powerful experience and he said uh, the thing I reflect upon the most is the color of the waves in the evening yeah. as they crashed in over the beaches in Burgio. Yeah. yeah. Now I had been a guide in Burgio for better part of a decade. Yeah. And he said that I couldn't remember, or I couldn't. <laughs> See, you saw it, but you never saw it, never right? Saw so it, it took it took him to. Yeah. And like that was one of the great things when I did the Camino, right? Yeah. You know, like every day you'd be sitting down with people. You know, who were walking the 833 kilometers. Well, the El Camino is a famous yeah. Spanish hike, but yeah. it's not guided. It's not guided, but it was informal processing of the experience, right? Mm-hmm. So as you're sitting around drinking wine and beer in the evenings, you're always talking about the walk, right? And the more wine and beer, the more talk. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so for a lot of people, you know, I, I met a lot of people on the Camino, and for a lot of them, talking to other people was a way to kind of validate what they were thinking mm-hmm. and what they were experiencing, right? And we're going to do, like, with this Explore series that we're doing now, you're, yeah. you're, uh, you and I are talking about reflective tourism. Yeah. And we're more taking the time, smelling the roses, yeah. all of the things that relate to that. And, uh, but it's really think- interesting. It's, com- it's a really good topic, Joe, because I don't think, I don't think we do enough of the reflective piece, maybe. I bet you if we looked at every uh, uh, company, I guess, user company, 
that delivers an outdoor experience in Newfoundland. I was just wondering how many people of them do a reflective piece at the end. Where they... It's difficult to convert it into a commercial product because selling nothing is complicated and not very... Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's not really. Like, it's... I think it adds because a reflective piece is also part of the experience, right? I think we could act as a facilitator. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Well, that's what a facilitator does is you... <clears throat> a good example, I guess, is... Uh, you know the high ropes course here, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Like a big part of my, my work down in the States with inner city kids in Chicago is we bring them through the ropes course, right? <clears throat> and a ropes course is really a metaphor, right? Sure. You know, for challenge and overcoming fears and all this kind of stuff. A lot right? of the paddle sports are the same. Yeah, the same thing. Yeah, they start off with a lot of fear and yeah. So, so and the big piece of that of those was the was the discussion at the end, right? The processing of the experience and linking it back to whatever, right? You know, so like the ropes course really meant nothing unless you you did the last piece, right? So the ropes course is an experience, just like the paddling trip or the tours visiting Brown Harbor or the tours visiting Carpoon. Or the long-range hike. Or the long-range hike. You know, so maybe, you know, maybe we that processing piece, because we're a commercial company where people pay, you know, maybe we, we don't do that because we feel it's not appropriate. But maybe your product might be a greater product if all of a sudden people realize that Joe Dix, when we participate in what he does... He takes it to the next step, right? Or maybe we just facilitate so people can handle this on their own and yeah. help themselves. Yeah, well, that's the other way. You provide ways for them to process everything their experience. In, everything in tourism <coughs> doesn't need to be have commercial motivation. It needs no. to be no. about community and about self yeah. and individual health. Yeah. Because it is a health issue too, right? Oh, yeah. It's people a healthy living, right? Healthy it's living. a big piece. And it gets back to the poetry now. Like one of the activities we had at the uh, kill level was path diverse, right? Where students would write a series of series of state. Liam, you went there, did you? I can't remember if that. Okay. <laughs> but the idea, the whole idea behind <clears throat> the path diverse was was using poetry to process the experience at kill level, right? So it's a gateway to your 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 own. Ability. Yeah, the kids own, were reflecting, reflecting through reflecting. poetry, or you can reflect it through art, or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so many ways you could approach that. I yeah. mean, I know that when I when we take people out on the Lower Humber here to salmon fish, yeah, and uh, we get uh, a gentleman, for example, who meet at six a.m. in the morning, and we leave the dock, and we cast that first line. Yeah. And many times, I mean, as the salmon fishery is getting a little bit weaker, and the catch rates yeah. are getting a little lower. We don't have a lack of appreciation for the experience, despite the fact there's no consumption. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you asked 90% of the fishermen, salmon fishermen, what was the greatest experience on the river? Maybe catching the salmon was, was the number one, but the second was being on the river. The sun rises, the peacefulness. Well, I live here, I go out in the mornings yeah. just to hang out for yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah. And literally, as you say, yeah. do nothing. Yeah. Because yeah. doing nothing yeah. is really is really something. 
Yeah. Right? And yeah. it really is what gives you the opportunity well, <laughs> you to could, reflect, right? You could talk about, look at sand fishing as a good example of doing nothing. Exactly. <laughs> but it seems like we need an excuse to do nothing. You could spend a whole day just on a river for nine hours. Yeah. Just flicking your, your line, right? It's very but repetitive. You and, I, you and I both have experiences in with Canadian Aboriginal groups. Yeah. yeah. I taught on a crew yeah. reserve, and you worked with them in Labrador yeah. quite a bit. And we know that, that, that this, this need, this compulsion... To be active in life, yeah, and have a purpose, an active purpose ahead of us, a yeah. reason to do something, yeah, seems to be something that comes from society. It's 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 right across the country. I imagine it's all the way down through the states. I can only reflect oh, yeah, on yeah. my own experience, but I know that uh, it doesn't have to. No, and it probably shouldn't. Yeah, Newfoundland is an ideal place to come to do nothing. Really. Yeah. Well, see, if you, if you look at the. Uh, the culture in the, in the Far East, like the Buddhists and so on, I ever see them when they're praying, they they got the little thing that they're twisting back and forth. Yeah. They'll sit there for an hour, mm-hmm. two hours, right? Meditative thing. And that just came to my mind when you mentioned salmon fishing. Yeah. Like that thing that they're doing is a repetitive. Yeah. And the same thing with salmon fishing is a repetitive thing for four hours, like yeah. in a fly in a river. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? And each time you watch that yeah. bomber you know, yeah. lower down onto the yeah. surface of the water with anticipation each yeah. time. Yeah. Anticipating a salmon. But it may not come. Yeah, and that's reflected in the opening lines of the, of the film. The river runs through it. You ever, we watched that film? I've, I've watched it, but I don't Just go re- back in, on YouTube. It's the, the commentary at the very beginning. Okay. And that's what he talks about, right? Same so, thing we're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, and I think it could relate to anything that we do as an activity here in Newfoundland, yeah. from yeah. hiking to yeah. salmon fishing to walk, walking, walking, right? and the, the, you know any any of the various you activities know. we do. And there's another discussion just walk, about walking. Yeah, it was just a fundamental thing that humans do anyway. That's yeah. what you know. Of all the activities we do, walking costs nothing, and that's what we're made to do physiologically. <laughs> You know, so for 10,000 years, the walking mm-hmm. thing, of, the idea of walking, the repetitive thing of walking, that's another podcast in yeah. itself. Yeah. And somewhat meditative as well, right? Well, it is, it is yeah. because it's a tick tock, tick tock, tick yeah. of this walk, right? And that's why. And listening to the waves or the yeah. trees rustling, yeah. all these various yeah. elements bring us back into this yeah. reflective mode. That's why I walk. I try to walk ten kilometers a day, right? Because I rediscovered walking, right? Before I did the Camino, right? I, I missed a big chunk of walking in my life. You're picking it up now, though, as far as I yeah. understand it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, you, you did the El Camino how many years ago? Four years ago. Four years ago. Three years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that represents a fairly good chunk of walking. How many kilometers? Eight hundred thirty-three, right? Eight hundred thirty-three. How many days? Thirty-five days. Extraordinary, eh? So but again, that's another example of a vehicle, right? That the pilgrimage is a vehicle. Yeah. The walk is a vehicle, right? That's another. But once discussion. you start to think about reflection, and you think about the limits of reflection, I don't think they have any limits. No. I mean, if you could walk for thirty-five days, largely your two activities were would be listening to, or the three activities would be listening to your feet. The walking Looking sticks. at the scenery. The tic- tic- no, well, no, not really, because that's another podcast, because, like, I didn't... But it's a reflective experience, is yeah. I guess the only... See, thing. I didn't see 
one one of the issues I had with the Camino. Am I used to, allowed to use an F word on the yes, podcast? Sorry, it's I didn't podcast. know where the fuck I was half the time <laughs> because <clears throat> we brought the I brought the book and I the first night I I read the first thing and I never opened it right. I brought the five hundred most you know the pieces of music I loved the most my whole and I didn't listen to it all. Right, mm. what happened to me on the Camino is it was like the the little drum, the prayer drum, or the the fly rod with a repetitive thing, and I kind of disappeared into another place, right? Well, that's what reflection should bring yeah. you to. That's the so that's the another whole story, right? right? And, sure. And I was just actually at a, a dinner last night with the the priests here. They were invited me, and when I was talking about the Camino, that's what I was telling, talking about. But that's another talk. All sure, together, yeah, right? we'd love to do another talk on yeah, that. Yeah, but anyway. But here in Newfoundland, I think there's so many opportunities for very deep and meaningful reflection. Well, again, of that's place, the, the tour is going, you know, and <clears throat> that's another talk, too. Like, there's different kinds of people that I run into on Fogo Island, right? Who travel, Newfoundland. And we do in Carpoon Island up there. Yeah, so there's the guy that I met in a Jeep this summer who has no itinerary, right? There's no, there's no itinerary. He just, he goes where the island takes him, right? Uh, he stays in Tilting, for example, because there was a festival there. He didn't know about the festival, you know? So, so it's a place that is moving him along. Right? He goes to the next place because he's learned about it from this place, right? You know? Well, every get, corner has a, has something new to discover. New yeah. 17,000 kilometers coastline. Yeah, so... And with, with the exception of the, the vast period, uh, territory in the south coast, which yeah. is a, less accessible, Yeah. The, the from in one side of Notre Dame Bay to the other and all the way over here to the Bay of Islands, yeah. I mean, you can be in a different community every yeah. 20 minutes yeah. by car. Yeah. You know, really. So that's the, that's the tourist. That, that's the other end of the tourist continuum. The guy that comes and like there's the must sees in Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. Got to go to Gross Morn. Got to do Western Pond. Mm -hmm. Got to go down and do a, a, a whale trip down south of St. John's. Got to go to St. John's. Got to go to Twilight Gate. And well, out of breath, they're, they're falling into the, the to the to the trap of the the most marketed yeah. is the most visited well the must sees right yeah and then the most visited is the least valuable from a reflective perspective because yeah. if you're the if you're the thousandth visitor in dildo for example yeah. when the rage was on the go how how easy is it for you to experience dildo yeah when the, uh, the person in the coffee shop doesn't really have time to talk to you yeah or or the beaches are full or that you know it's not quite the same yeah and so the other problem these people got, they they say, well, you know, I drove across St. John's, it was nothing. And you say, well, you know what? The Trans Canada cuts through central Newfoundland. Yeah. Newfoundland was settled on the coast. That's oh. where the history and the culture is. Right. You should have went off, you know, at uh, Musgrave Harbor and went around the coast. Yeah. You know, so they're out of breath. Right? Or, 
any number of the the appendages off the Trans Canada Highway all have value. Yes. And they all have different distinct yeah. experiences. So anyway, so, they're on that side of scale. <laughs> yeah. But maybe the plan, the the best way to come to Newfoundland is really to plan to do nothing. Yeah. And give yourself the time to do nothing and experience yeah. it and yeah. try to be reflective. See, a lot of times we can't do nothing because we're so locked into. We got we got to work. We got to live. Our schedules are locked in, right? So there's, you know, so there's this double-edged sword, right? Well, what we're proposing is people break that trend, right? Yeah. So break you, that. you know, so you got to create that mystique within your experience that they're doing nothing. Yeah. But there's another whole side of coin, right? Mm -hmm. That you now are the nothing creator. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you're you're setting up this facade. So your clients, in, inside of them, they're experiencing nothing. But on the other side of the curtain, Joe Dix is directing this, you know. Well, no one should direct your reflective opportunity. You should just be I know, but that's the way it is a lot lot in the world today, right? It is, yeah. You know, like, you know, when... The, the larger, our, our commercial piece of this, of this tourism puzzle... Yeah. It's really the accommodations and the restaurants yeah. and those things, which are necessary. We need, you got to sleep, you got to eat, yeah. right? But in Explore Newfoundland, our philosophy in, in Explore Newfoundland uh, is to open the door, be a gateway to Newfoundland, either through yeah. to create the activity, yeah. but also now to the, the self-guided tour. We're constantly recommending people take a self-guided tour and act as a facilitator. Well, that's probably, the, that's the best Remember the guy, I know you were here a couple of years, well, a long time ago, they had this tourist conference at Grenfell here. Mm -hmm. And the guy from Toronto spoke. He was offering the trips to, uh, over in the middle, uh, far east in uh, Thailand. Were you there at his talk? No, I don't recall. And he said, somebody asked a question about what, what do you have in place over there for the tourists? He said, everything is there already, right? So, and I've, uh, I've quoted that many, many times. Yeah. And same thing with Newfoundland, everything is here already. Everything's here already. And so what he was saying was that the product over there wasn't the fancy hotel. It was the culture and the people and the untouched place. Yeah. It's already there. But you didn't have to do anything. But things, things are there already. I mean, if you look at the outport communities, the resettled communities yeah. that I think have tremendous value for a tourist, there's nobody to pay. No. There's no exchange of money. No. So therefore, when it's non-commercial and yeah. it's really a reflective opportunity and a chance to go yeah. and see without there being a tour guide or any, anything, it's very difficult to then create the marketing that facilitates the people coming. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the values of this podcast is we're opening the door to something that isn't commercial. Well, that's the, I guess in the whole realm now of ecotourism, right? And this was this guy was, you know, that was early stages of ecotourism, actually. Mm -hmm. That got that got to be 15, 20 years ago, Joe. But So we still have a Newfoundland, but we're really going all over the place. But that's all right. Because one of the complaints that people have about Newfoundland is there's not enough restaurants, right? Yeah. Or... The people don't know how to pour a glass of wine, right? Yeah. And all this other stuff, right? But that's not part of the place 
that we know. Of, it's not part of this place. Right? Yeah. It's another another thing that happens quite often every summer is we have tourists who come and they want a lobster supper. Yeah. We all often get this, you know. Now, lobster to us is a poor man's meal, right? Used to be bait. <laughs> yeah. If you ate lobster and tilting when Angela was growing up, it was bait. People talked about you, right? It was bait, yeah. Yeah. My, my father would say you'd hide the lobster when you brought it to school yes. for lunch. Yes. And because it was it was bait food, it wasn't used. So, yeah. But here, uh, people always come, and Newfoundlanders can't bring themselves to spend $45 on a plate of lobster no. in a restaurant. No. So obviously restaurants don't necessarily carry it. But this, the grocery stores boil a beautiful lobster. Yeah, yeah. And you can have two or three lobsters, go to a beach and have a picnic, and it's a great experience. Yeah. But people expect things to be orchestrated, con- contrived, uh, all the logistics taken care of. Here's your pick, here's your butter, here's your... It's like being screeched in. Yeah. Another thing that is beat to death, right? Beat to death. Like they come here and they expect to be screeched in, they expect the certificate... There's a thousand of them printed at a time. You buy a thousand of them, mm. right? Joe signs them, you know, and mm. they and go off and go home to Ontario. And there's sure. a picture of them kissing a fish, mm-hmm. right? But I, we had a group come here, a group of chefs come here, and I, I screeched them in, in a sense. And what we did was we walked out to the Bay of Islands here, right up on into uh, the, uh, the Bottle Cove Head. Yeah. And I taught him the ode to Newfoundland, and we had a screech. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think the, the, even the screech in has gotten to be a little bit more of a, a night out on the town, more of a drinking yeah. event. Unless the way to do it, if I was doing it now, if you took him up car jigging down in Cox's Cove with Buddy down there. Yeah, Darren. Darren and Park. they got their first cod, and they were on the boat. You said, oh, boys, I think uh, we got everything here to be screeched in. Yeah. Like do it like that. Then I think it have more. There'd be more of a story yeah. behind it for the tourists when they go back. Well, now you're speaking yeah. a little bit about reflective tourism fails if it's not authentic tourism. And that goes right back to the book, fake lore. Fake lore. Yeah. Which every Anita Best told me that every tourist operator in Newfoundland should read that book. If you Google it, it's a British guy wrote it, right? Yeah, so it's more authentic. <laughs> Boy, we're all over the place. I think they do a screech in in a 21-foot boat in the ways off of Coxico with Buddy. Not even planned for, just raw off the cuffs to do it. Yeah. I, Boy, I got the rum here. We got the fish. Let's do it. Let's do it, yeah. It's right? got to be right time and place, right? Yeah. And a good sense of time and place. Yeah, in, yeah. In, you know. As opposed to gathering here, you know, at 7 o'clock, screech in. Yeah. Joe comes up with the Oilers on, right? Yeah, <laughs> Southwester, which uh, that thing with a rubber boot on. <laughs> <it>. <laughs>